This is FM 100.5, 101.9, AM 1450, and WGNSRadio.com. Rutherford County's Place the Talk. Hip, hip, hooray, let's give a cheer. It's 9 a.m., the signal's clear. Our favorite host is in the chair. The Truman Show is on the air. It's The Truman Show with Truman Jones. A look at the politics, news, sports, and people that are shaping Rutherford County. The Truman Show is on the air. The Truman Show is on the air. Now from Adams Place on Memorial Boulevard, it's The Truman Show on News Radio WGNS. Here's Truman Jones. show today. Good morning, Truman. You know, I always enjoy you, and uh, I, I was over at at your house Saturday. I, was, I, I had dropped by because you, you had a couple of things you wanted me to look at, plus I, I, I always enjoy over there, and it looks so funny when you go into a farmer's house, and, and he's got all of his shoes off, he's walking around barefooted in this kind of weather. In fact, you, uh, you and Mentriette, y'all walked me out to my car when I was leaving, and uh, you, you must have tough feet, big boy, because <laughs> I, I, I mean, you were walking on concrete and I, everything else. Actually, as you age, I think you lose feeling in your lower body first, uh, but uh, yeah, I'd, I'd rather be barefooted. Yeah, isn't friendship something perfect? There's nothing like it, is it? There's nothing like it. Yeah. Nothing like it. You remind me, I lost a friend this weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's going to leave a big hole because he was our senior man at the Hooper feed wow. store. The, I call it the Hooper Institute. W.K. Lane. Not even sure, but he was in his mid-90s. And uh, since we lost uh, Myers Parsons and uh, Jerry Warner, mm-hmm. uh WK's been our senior man. Well, we lost him on Saturday. And I think it's interesting. I wasn't there on Friday, but he was, I'm told by others, and seemed to be in perfectly good health. But uh, on Sunday, they they called him, and we lost yeah. him. And to the family, my sympathies. And uh, it'll take a while for the Hoopers group to kind of regroup. We've lost, I think, five, six this year. That's unbelievable. Yeah, uh, and uh, he was very—he was a very interesting man. Well, he—I enjoyed talking to him. He yeah, asked me he so was, many questions. He was, of course, a World War II veteran. Yeah, and he and Jerry Warner left together, and uh, very late in the war, uh, they were the age where they weren't being drafted mm-hmm. until 44, 45, and ended up uh, their detail was. Uh, part of the occupation in Japan. Mm-hmm. And uh, yes, I heard some fascinating stories about uh, that period. Uh, yeah, that was one of my favorite groups to be with because each one of them had a major part in, in the history of, of this community. And that was pretty special. And of course, they all wanted to talk to you being the number one expert of, of history in, in, in our community. Well, I, I confess many times that they were one of my number one sources. I could go in there with an issue and say, does anybody remember such and such? Yeah. And likely, certainly in the early years of my involvement, likely I'd get a story. Somebody would remember who shot who or where something was or, or what was the date, the occasion. Uh, so we, we lose every day because we lose people yeah. uh, in terms of of the history and such. Now, you had a fascinating program uh, every day, but last Wednesday. Dr. Howard. Dr. Howard and and uh, his recollections of his experience as a World War II veteran uh, was fascinating. Reminded me, though, there is one uh, native of Rutherford County, very prominent family, uh, that we don't uh, often remember. In fact, most people don't even know that uh, that individual uh, set a first in terms of military service 
she was, a she, the first woman to be a U.S. Navy officer. This was uh, World War One. Oh, wow. And I'm talking about uh, the daughter of a mayor. Uh, her father was the mayor uh, at the time of the first occupation by the Union Army in uh, 1862. And when the Army came in, if you remember our, our lesson, uh, that was not a fought occupation. They simply walked in and said, we're taking over in 1862. Uh, and of course, Nathan Bedford Forrest ran them out later in the year. But early in the year, they took, took over the, the control of Rutherford County, in particular Murfreesboro. And the mayor, Mayor Dromgoul, it's a curious name, but was familiar then. Essentially, oh, he got, uh, someone brought him the message that the commanding officer wanted to meet with him right away. And Drum Gould said, I'm going fishing. <laughs> if he wants to talk to me. My kind of guy. Yeah, he said, if he wants to talk to me, I'll be out uh, at the creek or at the river. Yeah. And uh, refused to deal with him and, of course, resigned. Uh, he had no option. He obviously had to resign. And uh, I think one of the Millers was uh, briefly appointed. Uh, but in any event, uh, Drum Gould had a large family, a number of kids. His last child was a girl, and his first child and everyone in between were girls. Mm -hmm. And so he was ready to name the son he was expecting uh, in that last birth, uh, Will Allen. And when it turned out to be a uh, female, he still used the name Will Allen. So Will Allen Drumgoo. Many people confuse the name and assume that it's a, it's a male. Mm -hmm. uh, and in her time, she was extremely well known and uh, uh, very successful. Uh, she served as the basically what we call the clerk, the record keeper for the Tennessee legislature. Mm -hmm. And uh, she wrote a number of uh, novels and articles such that in the 1920s, she was identified as, uh, well, she was identified much later when the research was done, but as of the 1920s, she was the most prolific writer in Tennessee history mostly anecdote-type uh, articles and books about the people of the state, which played against her at one point. Because a female, Greg Tucker. Yeah, well, yeah. I've used her as a resource a number of times and yeah. written about her. Uh, but uh, sometimes being candid can uh, work against you because she wrote about uh, the hill, what she called the hill people, and she wrote with affection. Uh, she obviously had a respect and affection for, for the different ethnic groups that she would write about. Uh, but a very popular writing style in her period was to use the vernacular, the slang, the speaking style of your subjects. Yeah. And she was able to convert that into literature and write about it. And. Uh, one day at the legislature when she was being the legislature, that was an elected position, elected by the legislature that she held, held it for probably 18, 20 years, but she was coming up for re-election. And one of the representatives from the mountainous part of the state vigorously objected to her re-election because she made fun of the people by this slang that she used in, in a particular story. Mm -hmm. And the news account I read of this particular session of the legislature quotes the individual who objected, and he speaks exactly in the style that she caricatured in, in her book. But he got up and said to his colleagues, she's making fun of the people of the state, and she mm -hmm. lost that re-election. But she immediately goes to work for the Tennessean, the newspaper in, in Nashville, and wrote a column there for many, many years. She went into the Navy when the call was made for volunteers. Uh, she volunteered and went into some kind of communications function. Uh, 
Now, how old would she have been at that time? Oh, she's in her 40s, probably midlife. Oh, okay. Uh, but she was, apparently her reputation made a difference mm -hmm. uh, because she was given a commission, uh, made an officer, and uh, worked through the war and for a couple of years afterward as a naval officer. And according to the literature that I've read, uh, she is the first woman to be an officer in the United States Navy. And uh, Was she married at the time? She never married. Ah. Never married. She always used the name Drumgool. Yeah. And uh, Well, she was so focused. I, I can see where, where yeah. that would kind of almost be a disruption. I've got a picture of her, and it, I got it just recently. Uh, and it bears out one uh, kind of casual and not very kind comment that I've read in some of her well, in her obituary and some of those, it said she was not an attractive woman. Uh, she has That's a, a terrible thing to see. Yeah, to do. I, but that point was made, and the picture I've got is her in Navy uniform, and she does have kind of a rough look about her. But uh, well, I mean, uh, so what? Yeah, that's I mean, look reaction. at all the extraordinary uh, things she had, she had done. Yeah, yeah. So. That's Will Allen Drumgool, and uh, the part of her story involves uh, she had a uh, relationship with one of the convents up in Nashville, and I have a friend that I met through my writing who is a descendant of her, mm -hmm. and uh, that's what brought me the picture here recently. He continues to do research. He's in Texas. He. Uh, sent me the picture there about a week ago and says he's going to be up this way uh, sometime in the spring. Mm -hmm. And I told him, give us a call. We can put him on the air and love to hear more about uh, his research and what he's learned about the drum ghouls. Yeah. You know, you have such a great talent for uh, putting uh, the research that you do in print. But... You, it's amazing how many more people have have been attracted to to all the things that you do through the airways and, and you know i can relate to that because i have a, a very hard time uh seeing prints the in this day and time and and i'm almost um, ready to start finding ways to listen to things rather than um, reading them. Because I was trying to read, believe it or not, uh, The Bell Witch last night. <laughs> and, and, and this was after I <coughs> was, was doing some other things. And, and a lot of that, uh, the print in there is exactly what you were saying. It, it was the same pronunciations in the what they were using back in those days and it, it made it uh, real for me but I have a hard time with that small print I mean it's it's pretty difficult and I always read your stories when you were writing in some kind of uh, paper I don't uh, local paper or what it was but I think we still have one I'm not sure uh, you you're, you do have an audience because I've had people come up to me and say, are you Greg Tucker? And I say, yes. I thought I recognized your voice. Yeah, see, and, there you go. Uh, yeah, that can only be radio. <laughs> you, you know, I've had people when I'd be in a restaurant and uh, talking to some, to some people around me, and people would look around and say, are you Truman? And I said, yes, I am. And she said, or he said, we listen to your show almost every day. And we absolutely love Greg Tucker's show. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, let's see. There's another loss recently that we ought to comment on. Uh, Andrew Tamburo, T-A-M-B-U-R-O. Is that Italian? Maybe. Yeah, I think so. It's ethnic. Uh, in 1924, Andrew Tamburo, uh, here in Rutherford County, Murfreesboro, opened a restaurant. 1924 and he Very called popular and he called it Andrews mm -hmm. and for 30 years almost exactly uh, he operated Andrews restaurant in the first block of East Main just off the square mm -hmm. I've also heard it called town bureaus 
Yeah. Yeah. It was. Uh, I think they changed it later. Well, they changed it in 1954. Mm -hmm. He. Uh, well, he had a rival. He had a lot of rivals. At one time, I think there were like 11 restaurants just around the square just before World War II. But anyway, Tamburo had a number of uh, competitors. One of them had predated him. Uh, now, I cannot give an exact date for when the Cantrells opened their first re first opened their restaurant, mm -hmm. but I have documented it in the deed records to 1920 uh, because of a uh, deed reference there notes that they were leasing or renting the property on the south side of the square yeah. in 1920. So sometimes 1920 or just a little before 1920, brothers Henry and Dorsey Cantrell opened Cantrell's restaurant on the south side of the square. Uh, and, uh, and four years later, Tamburo opens his restaurant, and for the next 30, no, for the next 20, 25 years, they were strong rivals, uh, aggressive rivals. But they had a little different character. Uh, Tamburo kept his relatively family-oriented uh, or family-appropriate. Uh, the Cantrells, well, the Cantrells actually had the Salem Dairy, dairy down in Salem. Mm -hmm. And when they opened the restaurant, the upstairs above the restaurant area was where they processed their milk. The Salem dairy milk came in in huge can, milk cans and went upstairs and was whatever they did. I hope they did some kind of pasteurizing, eating, and they bottled the milk there. So that was their original business. That's where the, the big cans, they'd pick them up at the farm and take them straight over there? Yeah. Because Papa Jones's did that. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's the way they moved it around. Today, we would be scared to death of contamination or something, but that's... Ah, oh, we were tough. Yeah, the back then. Yeah. Well, we're talking about the 1920s, and uh, Henry and Dorsey, Dorsey came to be called Dorsey, uh, affectionately, mm -hmm. uh, but they split. And Henry took the uh, milk business with him over to a, a location, I've actually got the address on West College, and left the uh, uh, Dorsey with the restaurant business up on the square. Mm -hmm. Actually, uh, for at least a short time, Henry operated another restaurant, which uh, uh, also uh, bore the name. Uh, this would have been late 20s. About the time that uh, Dossie decided that instead of Cantrell's restaurant, he had adopted a new name, and the new name was the City Cafe. So through the... Uh, I knew we were going there somewhere. Yeah, through the <laughs> 1930s, uh, Andrew and Dossie saw other restaurants come and go, but they continued as rivals. Now. I said uh, Tamburo kept his uh, appropriate for the family dining, we'd say today. Uh, Dossie, since the upstairs was vacant, uh, operated it or let it become a uh, gambling and drinking venue. Well, and did you say gambling and drinking venue? Absolutely. Upstairs at the City Cafe. Oh, that's the first time I've heard of that. Yeah, I'm sure of that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a good friend also recent, uh, that we've lost, John Womack, told me, yeah, he used to, and his family used to go to the Sea Cafe there on the south side. He knew Dossie. Uh, but they never went upstairs. And uh, I thought, I'm sure you didn't. <laughs> but it was a rough place. In fact, we've documented a couple of uh, uh, murders, or at least killings. Uh, one I remember in particular was uh, someone we've talked about quite a bit, uh, Albert Dubois. Yes. Uh, he uh, got in an argument. Uh, well, they were gambling, the story goes. And uh, George Snow was winning, winning big. And uh, George picked up his winnings and went out. Whether he was leaving or taking a break isn't clear, but Albert followed him out. And the story that I get from the uh, court records is uh, there was an argument. 
and it turned into, what's that phrase, a knife fray uh, with both of them, a cutting, yeah, here's the quote, a cutting fray resulted. Snow got the worst of it, in fact, uh, was mortally wounded, died from the, from the fight. Du Bois was arrested and convicted of manslaughter, which is, we've talked recently about how back in those days, a fight in the tavern was usually self-defense or yeah. manslaughter or something short of murder, but he did get a 10-year sentence and served 14 months and was back on the square as Du Bois. Sounds like today's. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was 1936, which is also, oh, I should note that uh, the victim, George Snow, was Patsy Henson's uncle. Oh, wow. Patsy, uh, obviously the, the wife of our um, she, country music friend. She was an Armstrong, friend. yeah. 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 Uh, in fact, uh, uh, the Hensons have a close connection with this period because uh, the first two waitresses at the City Cafe were Audie and Sarah Overall. Sarah Overall's Billy Henson's mother. Oh, wow. Yeah. And... Uh, he remembers uh, the sister as well. That's a close bloodline to get married. Yeah, in fact, if you're uh, listening. talking to Henson not too many years ago, he remembered that his mother and Aunt Audie always spoke fondly of their employer, Uncle Dossie, mm -hmm. which was just a, a pet name for him. Uh, The, uh, let's see, in the 1930s, the City Cafe run by Dossie and Andrew's Cafe were probably uh, two of the half dozen very popular restaurants and shops at the time. In the uh, mid-1940s, I couldn't pin down the exact date, but sometime in the mid-1940s, Cantrell sold his business. And it went through two or three uh, later managers, apparently without the appeal that uh, Dossie had, because in uh, 19, well, Dossie died in 48, and within two years, the city cafe closed. Hmm. And uh, a new occupant, that was some of the Spence property, they released it, and uh, it went to uh, someone else who did not operate a uh, restaurant leaving uh, Tamburo's as probably uh, one of the three or four most popular times, still in his same location there on East Main. Mm -hmm. uh, Tamburo, I think uh, I would say, was a good businessman because he saw opportunity. And uh, he waited about four years. In 1954, he changed the name of his restaurant. And uh, since nobody else was using the name, he renamed Andrew's Restaurant the City Cafe. So the City Cafe that we recently lost, very recently. But it's it's back in business again. Oh, is it already? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. My. They're, 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 uh, they had a number of people that evidently came in and donated uh, to keep the restaurant so open. So it's open. Well, good. Yeah. Uh, because they do date. That's Andrew's Restaurant, Tamburo's Restaurant from 1924. Mm -hmm which means almost 100 years, about 96 years, Andrew's in business. And, uh, but I note that uh, the name of the, the current name of the restaurant and the name since 1954 was basically pirated when uh, Dossie and the Cantrells and their s subsequent owners uh, gave up. And uh, f if you go to the phone book or the city directories, 1950 to 1954, there's no city cafe in uh, Murfreesboro, but as of 1954, Andrews disappears mm -hmm. as a listing, and you got city cafe again. Mm -hmm. As my son said, the tradition went on, but uh, I'd say uh, Tamburo was a good businessman. He was, of course, very near his retirement, yeah. and uh, until fairly recently, the property where his restaurant is and was, uh, was still in the family. Uh, I'm not sure that's the case today, but uh, I know uh, until four or five years ago, it was still still in the family. 
the Tamburo family. So we got two city cafes and uh, one uh, still in operation. And I like to point out that's really Andrew's restaurant, Andrew Tamburo, uh, a very prominent uh, businessman in the 30s. Are you 40s. saying they should change the name back? No, no. But uh, if people are interested in the history, uh, that's Andrew's restaurant. Well, you, you, you're speaking of history, and, and it's funny how the bloodlines stay in the same type of occupation. And uh, I, you'll never guess who I ran into this morning over at Sylvan Park. Uh, Clara Todd. And Clara Todd was a Wilson, as we know, and uh, they grew up uh, over there on uh, Franklin Road, over there in that area. And, I ran into her, and she has not changed one bit. And you're talking about the Wilson side and the Todd side. And the history of those two families goes back forever. And, of course, you, you know, Bud Mitchell's mom was one of the Wilson girls. Yeah. And it, 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 it's <clears throat> the history just, it, it, it just, it's amazing how those families stay in existence for so long but it's because they reach out to people and that's one of the main things of course the tides were uh, a major uh, yeah there's at least two very prominent Todd branches yeah uh, A.L. Todd who we've talked about many times and then there was I believe I'm forgetting the first name but another Todd unrelated I'm told had a big big spread farm uh, on South, what's now South Church and what used to be County Farm Road, now Joe B. Jackson, mm -hmm. right in there. And uh, that was uh, Ed Lowe's wife, was yeah. that Todd. Mm -hmm. And I remember that Myers Parsons uh, bought the property and developed it. There's a lot of subdivision in that, in that area now. Yeah, I, I like to, uh, and I point out that uh, we get back 100 years ago and we see this some very familiar names, uh, families that have been in the area yeah. for many, many years. You mentioned property ownership. Uh, Dossie's City Cafe on the south side, uh, he leased the he and his brother originally leased the property from the Spence family. The Spence family goes back to the beginning, mm -hmm. absolutely back to the early 1800s. And uh, we frequently refer to the annals of Rutherford County written by John Spence, which is an excellent resource. Mm -hmm. And um, Marmon Spence uh, uh, financed, developed a number of the turnpikes in the mid-1800s. And uh, uh, in fact, the first Murfreesboro Rutherford County Bank was the Spence's. And somehow or another, over that time, they got uh, control, title, real estate title, mm -hmm. to almost the entire south side of the square and the north side of Vine Street, which is where Dossie leased from them. Yeah. Let's take a break. All right, let's take a break. We'll be right back with you. From NHC's Adams Place, home of premier senior living on Memorial Boulevard, it's the Truman Show on News Radio WGNS, FM 100.5 and 101.9, AM 1450, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com. Hey, this is Ted Craig with Craig and Wheeler Realty and Auction. We're holding an absolute auction Saturday, November 21st at 10 a.m., located at 1110 Rose Avenue, within walking distance of the MTSU campus. This home has three bedrooms, one full bath, 1,224 square feet, over a half-acre lot. No buyer's premium. What you bid is what you pay. Saturday, November 21st at 10 a.m., and the real estate to be sold at noon. Call us for details and information at 931-684-9112, Tennessee License number 54275. So, so, so. Main Street Murfreesboro is continuing the Take the Pledge Challenge to support locally owned businesses in the historic downtown. Plan to shop Small Business Saturday after Thanksgiving, November 28th, all day. Bring your family and friends downtown. Eat, walk around, and find unique gifts for the holidays. Grab BizBucks $5 coupons to be used at participating shops downtown that day and the following week. Get your BizBucks at any Wilson Bank and Trust for small businesses in downtown Murfreesboro. Now's the time to start teaching good financial habits to your children, and we're here to help. 
Hi, I'm Nancy with Heritage South Community Credit Union. Our chipmunk and squirrel saver accounts help your child learn how to save and reward them for regular deposits or good grades. Our team cash accounts help your team learn to manage their money wisely and have options to build their credit. To learn more, visit our website, HeritageSouth.org, insured by the NCUA. Hey guys, prioritizing your health is now more important than ever. Not only to build your immune system, but to address chronic health issues that you may have. I recommend Low T Center. They exclusively specialize in men's wellness and follow strict medical guidelines for your health and safety. Low T Center has reinvented the doctor's visit, making it easy to get all of your levels checked, not just your testosterone. It all starts with an annual wellness exam where they do a comprehensive health assessment so you know all the numbers important to your health. If you've been feeling tired, grumpy, have noticed weight gain and loss of muscle mass, those could be signs of low testosterone levels, low thyroid, or even sleep apnea. Low T Center can determine the cause and help. And now they offer monitored self-inject at-home testosterone treatments, providing convenience and additional health monitoring measures for your safety, including a take-home blood pressure monitoring cuff. Self-inject at-home treatments are $135 a month for self-pay or covered by most health insurance. Book your annual wellness exam today at LowTCenter.com. Low T Center, reinventing men's health care. Here's Amy Byers. If you've not been to MTEMC.com lately, you might want to check it out. It's got a whole new look, and it is very easy to navigate. Check out Middle Tennessee Electric's new website, MTEMC.com. It's a great opportunity to learn more about Middle Tennessee Electric, being able to pay your bill, and check that out for more information. MTEMC.com. Now, an update from the WGNSRadio.com News Center. I'm Ron Jordan. McFadden School of Excellence is the latest school to move to distance learning because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Rutherford County School spokesman James Evans notes for the Thanksgiving holiday and the previously announced distance learning flex day on November 30th, that means McFadden will reopen to in-person students on Tuesday, December 1st. While students are away, custodians and maintenance personnel will deep clean the building. A Wilson County grand jury has indicted a man on six counts of sexual assault that happened more than 40 years ago when the alleged victim was under the age of 13. Investigators say the incident happened between June of 1979 and November of 1985. Donald Wayne Hayes was booked into the Wilson County Jail on a $150,000 bond. The state will help up to 500,000 Tennesseans claiming unemployment benefits to earn a college degree while fulfilling work search requirements. Tennessee Reconnect offers two years of tuition-free community or technical college by establishing last-dollar scholarships for eligible adults who have not yet obtained a degree. Federal unemployment benefits funded by the CARES Act will expire as the claimants reach the maximum 39 weeks of payments in the coming weeks. The last day to claim federal unemployment benefits is December 26th. Former Republican Governor Bill Haslam is commenting on the presidential election. Haslam issued a statement last week saying President Trump needs to give Joe Biden's team full access to national security information and the transition support of the federal government. Haslam also said Trump deserves to make sure all votes are counted and done so correctly. Haslam, a member of the National Bipartisan Council on the election. Socialize with us on social media. Log on to Facebook.com slash WGNS Radio and click the like button. I'm Ron Jordan reporting. News updates around the clock, when it breaks, and on demand at WGNSRadio.com. We are News Radio WGNS. Bud's Tire Pros makes buying tires simpler, so you can get back to when being on the move was carefree. For a limited time, get up to a $120 reward card after submission when you bundle at least two new qualifying Michelin or BF Goodrich passenger or light truck tires, as well as select Michelin motorcycle, scooter, and bicycle tires. Or get a $120 reward card per purchase of four new Michelin Cross Climate 2 tires. Bud's Tire Pros, hassle-free, guaranteed. Find out more at BudsTireProsTN.com. See store for complete details. Offers valid from November 18th, 2020 through December 9th, 2020. Void where prohibited. Listen live to WGNS Radio on our website, and Alexa, or Google devices. Search WGNS Radio for on-demand podcasts in iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Plus, we have direct links to podcasts at WGNSRadio.com. Good neighbor weather. Skies become mostly sunny here this afternoon, high around 60 degrees. Northwest winds at 5 to 10 miles per hour. Tonight, mostly clear and alone near 36. I'm meteorologist Jennifer Wojcicki on News Radio WGNS. Currently, it's 30. 
Premier Six Theater is open. They're excited to see you again and will be showing some classic movies you'll be sure to enjoy. Check MurfreesboroMovies.com for showtimes for Premier Six Theater. They're now open. From NHC's Adams Place, home of Premier Senior Living on Memorial Boulevard. It's The Truman Show on News Radio WGNS, FM 100.5 and 101.9, AM 1450, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com. I like the uh, I don't know if I should ask you this question or not, but I do want to say how proud I am that you have been uh, nominated by the DAR. You are very quiet. Well, I'm not trying to be quiet. Anyway, I'm, I'm doing the best I can because uh, we were we were doing well. Uh, oh, all right. Who's messing with us? Anyway. Uh, the DAR has, local chapter of the Harley Murphy DAR. Yeah, has nominated <laughs> you for a very prestigious award. Well, I understand it's a national award for uh, work with respect to historic preservation. Yeah, and I'm flattered by the nomination, and we'll see what happens. Well, I, I can tell you right <coughs> now, you're most deserving, and if you don't win, I'm going to be very unhappy. <laughs> Get after them. Yes. See, we talked last week about a, a gunfight between Constable Hoover back in the 30s, remember? And uh, the Hoover was a cotton farmer, and he had a tenant named Kelton. Again, mm -hmm. two, two familiar names. There's a lot of Keltons around here. Yeah, a lot of Hoovers. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I found another reference to that that uh, I thought was interesting. In the 30s, there was still the uh, certain amount of judicial authority that went with being a member of the county court, now mm -hmm. called the county commission. Yeah. And those fellows then were called justices of the peace or JPs. Uh, I found an account of a preliminary trial held by two acting as a panel, two just JPs, justices of the peace. Mm -hmm. And they called the witnesses and uh, heard the testimony and apparently uh, then passed it on to the uh, circuit court because mm -hmm. the JPs, I don't think, had the authority to assess uh, penalty, uh, but they could try the case. And uh, two of them tried the case. And uh, mm -hmm. interesting, the wife's testimony, of course, completely contradicted the survivor's testimony, mm -hmm. uh, and I'm not sure how, maybe I can find the next chapter as I continue to read. What was their overall responsibility? Because it sounds like almost a uh, general sessions type situation. Well, that's what happened, remember, in the, about 1948, uh, the general sessions court was first set up, mm -hmm. and what it essentially did, it took the judicial powers away from the JPs, the justices of the peace, and established a general sessions court, which does now the preliminary hearing. Uh, and, you know, we all remember, I hope, all in our generation, the Perry Mason show on TV oh, years yeah. ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, I always was kind of amused how uh, what casual and quick things were resolved and uh, mostly they used the format of a preliminary hearing. Mm -hmm. And uh, Perry would get the culprit to confess uh, and get his client off almost every time. Um, but they really were preliminary trials back in the 30s at least in this area mm -hmm. conducted by popular elected legislative personnel mm -hmm. because the county court uh, which was our legislative body then, also had judicial powers vested in the individuals. And it's a great story how someone we mentioned, the Todd family, mm -hmm. uh, took some initiative and uh, uh, our hardware family, uh, returning from World War II, uh, yeah, the senior, uh, Holden, 
Mm -hmm. I had stopped Raleigh, the name. Raleigh yeah. Holden Sr. Mm -hmm. uh, with the encouragement and support of the Todds. Uh, got elected to the legislature and immediately submitted a obviously pre-written, very uh, uh, legalistic uh, bill to establish the General Sessions Court and to take the authority out of the JPs and put it into the court. And uh, uh, Raleigh served one term enough to get that through. And then, as I said in something I wrote, knowing he had alienated 90% of the political establishment in Rutherford County, that being the JPs, uh, he did not run for re-election, mm -hmm. but uh, he had run the first time more as an accommodation to supporters. Yeah, you know, uh, we learn a lot from one term to the uh, to the other as to the the responsibility of each one of those elected heads. And I I remember very vividly when the constables. <coughs> were uh, relieved of, of their law enforcement uh, duties. And uh, it, it, it's, um, you know, history will tell us that a lot of the things that we change were d done for a particular purpose. And uh, a lot of, maybe sometimes it was the, the uh, individuals who were in those offices that... Uh, it, it made the change necessary, you right, might say. Right, that's often the case. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we've talked uh, also recently about the Tennessee College, which was the women's college uh, there on East Main, now where the Central Magnet School is. Uh, and in fact... Let, let, let me ask you something. Women's College. Did any uh, uh, men... Uh, go to that college, or was it only for ladies only? It's interesting, the name is Tennessee College, uh, not making specific, but came to be known informally as the Tennessee College for Women or the Women's College, and mm -hmm. no, it was very exclusive, mm -hmm. uh, not only on the gender, only women. Mm -hmm. Uh, but they came from uh, the upper income, uh, social status, families all over the Mid-South. Yeah. Uh, it was uh, quite a uh, bragging point for Murfreesboro, uh, Rutherford County, back during its heyday. Started, I think that they opened the doors in 1908. It's an interesting story about how they got funded. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> reparations from the Civil War was part of their funding originally. And they closed in 1946. And I know one of the residents here at uh, Adams Place is in that last 1946 class. Wow. We talked about recently how in about 1948, under the uh, leadership of a colorful character, Hickerson, uh, the facilities that had served the, the women's college on the north side, that'd be the side away from East Main, uh, or turned into a city park, mm -hmm. in particular the swimming pool. Well, I came across actually a sad story, but uh, interesting uh, trivia about the swimming pool. Uh, it wasn't there in the early days. It was built in the, well, it was first used in 1931. Uh, the story, though, is, is actually tragic. Uh, Larry Harris... Uh, lived in uh, a block or so north of the school, had uh, a family, his wife, and among the children was a seven-year-old and a five-year-old. Uh, Iona was seven, Iona Harris. Iola, it's interesting, Iona and Iola. Iola uh, was five years old. Larry Harris was a, a pilot for the Postal Service, mm. then called the Post Office. And he flew from uh, Sky Harbor, the airport uh, here in Rutherford County at the time, to Cincinnati and other points up in that part of the country. And uh, also was very popular and well-known around the area. He's uh, up in uh, one of the uh, Midwest states 
and uh, the swimming pool construction had just been completed and fenced uh, and uh, they were concerned that the cement needed to cure more mm -hmm. so the workmen put about five feet of water it was a regular swimming pool size at the time they put about five feet of water in the deeper end so the full bottom was covered with water uh, to cure well apparently and in fact they quote the president of the college at the time that uh, the children in the neighborhood were fascinated with what eventually became the first public swimming pool mm -hmm. in Murfreesboro and we'd come and watch the construction and uh, when it was first uh, fully laid they opened up the fence let the kids come in just to satisfy curiosity mm -hmm. uh, and uh, the, a couple of days later after this first amount of water had been put in, uh, Iona and Iola, apparently with their mother's permission, came down to the pool and crawled under the gate. And uh, workmen were in the area, uh, and uh, a worker on the roof of the building uh, looked over and saw that obviously something was wrong. And uh, what was reconstructed is apparently the little one wearing a bathing suit because the mother said she had given him their permission to go down there. Mm -hmm. Little one wearing a bathing suit and the older girl uh, unclothed uh, were found, their bodies were found in the water. Both had drowned. So what was figured out or assumed, we don't know for sure, but what was assumed is the little girl had gotten in, gotten in trouble. Mm. And the older girl, uh, perhaps not being dressed out to go in the pool, stripped off and jumped in to try to save her sister. Yeah. And both of them drowned. Mm. Uh, sad story, the, the beginning of the uh, recreational facilities there at the college. Uh, Harris, of course, I'm not sure how they contacted him in those days, but he had canceled his route and uh, came down. And uh, when I read through it, and particularly reading the statement made by the president of the efforts that had been made today, that would be such an easy setup for a liability against the school. Yeah. Uh, you know, we fenced it to keep the kids out, but the fencing was such that they could easily crawl under and get in there. And, uh, but uh, interesting that 18 years, 15 years later, it's turned into a public park and caters to that age group, those kids, yeah. as we talked about last week. That's, uh, that's, that would be a hard thing to live with, to give your children that uh, um, ability or, or, or the... Uh, permission to go over there yeah. well you I can imagine that the mother uh, probably was a target of some criticism at the time yeah. uh, and today that would be one of those things that gets all over the internet and just makes it that much harder on the family yeah. but uh, it, it's obvious from the reporting that she acknowledged that she had given permission for them to go to the pool, probably not knowing whether it was open or supervised or what. Yeah. And even dressed out the little one at least in a bathing suit and uh, stayed home, let them go. Now, where exactly would that be, uh, where that pool was in, in today's world? Uh, on, uh, let's see, that's Vine Street as it goes okay. behind the uh, Magnet School uh, Central. And it was about, uh, well, not quite mid-block, because, of course, that's a double or triple block there. Uh, a little bit more towards the uh, the west side of the block, because it was behind the building that was the Tennessee College. And uh, Most of us uh, remember when the, at Central, they had their pool. Yeah, well, that was the pool. It was yeah. it? Yeah, that was the pool. Because that's where I learned how to swim. And most of us, my age and even younger, were uh, that was their first uh, um, 
uh, way of being able to be taught. Because uh, I remember uh, Bob Burkett, he, he was one of the very first uh, uh, um, swimming instructors that they had over there. And uh, I can remember, it, it seemed like we had 40 or 50 kids in that pool at a time. I'm sure you did. This was in the 50s, 1950s. Yeah. Well, it was... The college closed in 46. Uh, we talked, I think, maybe two weeks ago about them taking that property and turning it into essentially a public park. Yeah. And uh, Ray Duffy, uh, in the 50s, after Hickerson's uh, efforts to develop it, uh, and Duffy was, of course, very much involved in the youth programs that used the facility. So I believe I'm correct, I ought to check, that the pool that you remember is the same pool that was built in 1931 that probably was renovated and reconditioned but uh, basically the same pool yeah we even had a, a dressing area where the guys would go change their clothes and and uh, jump into the swim suit and well the generation before us my father confessed uh, he was raised on jackson street which is about three blocks uh, north of the pool area mm -hmm. Uh, they swam at night, uh, he and his brother and others in the neighborhood, including, I think, the Burkitts. They were close buddies. Yeah. Uh, we'd go down and climb the fence. We're talking about middle and late 30s and swim in the pool. And he said part of the incentive for some of them was that they knew the girls were watching out the windows on the back side of the building. So the boys would show off, carry on in the pool and probably eventually get run off, but uh, it was a common practice. Well, you know, Bud and Bud Mitchell and myself and a number of others, we would go over to Brother Medlock's swimming pool. Yeah, later. Uh, yeah, and uh, and took advantage. We'd watch for them, see when they were going to leave, and then we'd head over to the pool. <laughs> yeah, that, that was pretty neat. That was... Uh, uh, and, uh, we were more adventurous. Yeah, you're talking about over in Double Springs. Yeah, Double yeah. Springs. Yeah. What else do you remember? <laughs> <laughs> you are talking to somebody that is, I don't know what's wrong with me this morning, but I, I'll go work out real hard, and then all of a sudden, I have no energy, I get sleepy, and... Uh, for us to be, well, how would it be if we were to go to, on the air, early in the morning instead of nine o'clock? Nine o'clock's not early? <laughs> not for me, it's not. <laughs> uh, I, I think my world has, has changed. The, the time zones and everything, it, it just completely affects me now. Yeah. And, and uh I've, I've got a little space, and it's always about the time that we're on the radio that I, I, I kind of get that urge to go back to bed and, and, and take about okay. an hour or two now. All right, I get where you're going. I'm putting you to sleep. No, you're not. <laughs> yeah, no. No, you're not. I knew there was a jam in there somewhere. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. Give me a break. Yeah. You want to hear about uh, people getting sentenced to the county road? Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Because uh, I remember the county road. A lot of people don't remember the ball and chains and all the things that went with it. But uh, I guess our age group was probably the last ones who remember those things. Vaguely. Yeah. I used to see, you know, what we call the chain gangs or the road gangs. Yeah. But it's interesting that the references in the media and in a lot of the court records, uh, they just say they were sentenced to the county road. Yeah. And if you didn't have some sense of what, you know, what was involved there, but mm -hmm. that was how a lot of the uh, maintenance work got done on the roads that were under the, the superintendent of roads that really had yeah. responsibility. Yeah, and uh, yeah. well, uh, Hazel Lewis and Lucille Shipley were charged with impersonating men. Uh oh. And uh, uh, getting involved where they shouldn't have been involved, uh, largely with uh, assault and battery and uh, theft charges. Uh, but uh, they went before, I guess, one of the J.P.'s. 
And uh, yeah, Justice of the Peace Stockard, there's another familiar mm -hmm. local name. Yeah. He was a JP in the 1930s. Uh, was that Cheetah? Huh? Was that Cheetah? Cheetah. Cheetah Stockard. J E Stockard. Is that Cheetah? You see, Cheetah Stockard, Stockard was elected to a countywide office, and I believe that was back in the. Maybe late fifties or sixties. Well, this was this would have been maybe before then. This would have been in the thirties. Yeah, they were in in any event. The Stockard found them guilty of robbery and assault and battery, and made note that they were impersonating men in order to to carry out their crimes. Mm -hmm. uh, but they were sentenced to pay fines. But as an alternative to the fines, they could go on the county road. And they did. We have a phone call. And this is Tim Beatty calling in, and, uh, our uh, county trustee. And Cheetah's name was Alan J. Stocker. Now, do you remember, trustee, do you remember what year that was? That was much later. Probably the same family, though. Late 60s and early 70s, because he was in office when I was working at the sheriff's office. Okay, I think you're right on. Well, I appreciate that, Teb. Uh, you, you, uh, you're not only working for us uh, um, 24 hours a day, but you also have the time to uh, uh, <laughs> listen to our show, and I appreciate that. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Tim. Bye-bye. Right. He's on his way to the post office, so he's yeah, yeah, on that, the job. I've heard that excuse before. <laughs> yeah, Jay E. Stocker then probably was a generation earlier, and he was actually acting as a justice of the peace with... Uh, Judicial authority. Yeah, uh, but he's he uh, sentenced the women to the county road, and I guess they were out there with shovels and wheelbarrows and for whatever time. Now, were they impersonated men? I think that's what I'm getting from this. Yeah, I don't think I don't think that that's a crime even back then. But they impersonated men in order to do some petty thief, uh, theft, uh, and uh, apparently uh, charges were assault and battery, and they were given fines of ten dollars each in cost, uh, which doesn't sound like much today, but that amounted to something back then. And since they were unable to pay that, they were sentenced to work it off on the county road system. I presume they weren't very dainty like uh, we, we think of ladies. I mean, they were, um, well, I'm, ha I'm having a hard time you're show, picturing you're, this. You're showing your biases. You shouldn't do that on the radio. What kind of bias? That somebody who commits, uh, uh, who gets sentenced to the county road is not a fine, discreet young woman. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Well, now, when you when you think about the county road and the guys working on it, they they they've got all these big tools and they're dragging around and and uh, most of them pretty tough guys back in those days. I I remember uh, seeing them, so I don't ever remember seeing a lady uh, out on the county road. I think uh, the reason this came to my attention is that it was fairly unusual. Yeah. For women to be assigned, uh, sentenced to the county road. But if you can't pay your fines, you gotta take it out some way. But if you're impersonating a, a man at the a, a, that you're being charged, then I presume they'd feel like it's fair game to put them out there and if, let them work like a man. Let's say it this, if they were able to effectively impersonate men in order to carry out their crimes, yeah. uh, they probably, as you suggest, were well suited to the county road. Yeah. 
Okay. I'll hear but, it. But this is the first I'll, time. I'll get, I'll get criticized for that. You watch. From whom will you be criticized? No comment. <laughs> oh, I love it. I believe we've run out of time. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Why, why do we, why do we constantly I start will. at the very top of the hill and then we we slide down by the time <coughs> the 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 road? Well, radio okay. Next week we'll start at the bottom by reading an epitaph. Ooh. And uh, which tells us quite a bit about the tenor of the times. The what? About things that people were worried about at the time. Oh. What would that have to do with tenor? T e n o r. Yeah, T-E-N-O-R, that's right, tenor. Usually, I've, I've had some great, uh, uh, I've heard some of the best tenors in the world back when, when I was a kid. Well, this one wrote an epitaph. Okay. <laughs> I think we better go. Hey, guys, if you're listening to the radio show up there, we're ready to go. We'll see you in the morning at 9. From NHC's Adams Place, home of premier senior living on Memorial Boulevard. It's The Truman Show on News Radio WGNS, FM 100.5 and 101.9, AM 1450, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com.